0: Come on in, pull up a stool, and let me pour you a drink. And let's talk a little noir at the bar.
1: Thanks for joining us today for another episode of Noir at the Bar, where you... Get to hear some of your favorite authors reading from their books and short stories. Now, this season, our guest readers are authors that are going to be attending the Left Coast Crime in Seattle, April 11th to 14th. So not only do you get to hear them on the show here, you can go visit them, meet them, and maybe get a book signed. Gary Phillips and I are down here at the end of the bar trying to get the bartender's attention for a drink. Um, We're very thirsty. uh, But in the meantime... Gary is going to read from his short story collection, The Unvarnished. And Gary, I believe you're reading uh, Demon of the Track, is that correct?
0: Yes, I'm going to read the opening uh, uh, pages to uh, Demon of the Track, John. And it's uh, set in the late 50s here in uh, what we call the Venice section of uh, California, sort of out uh, by the ocean. And in those days, uh, Venice was affectionately called slum uh, by the sea. And these days, it's where the uh, Silicon Beach folks have built their uh, McMansions. <laughs> All right, so we'll start with Demon of the Track. Adam Deacon Coles tapped the brakes and swung his 41 Willis scoop to the right, his high beams illuminating the edge and the drop-off. The green mercury with a supercharger scoop sticking out of the hood brushed against the left side of his car. He didn't care about the body. It was full of dents and the fenders and... Passenger door were mismatched colors obtained from the salvage yard. But he didn't want the Merc knocking him over the edge of the rise as he took the turn. The Mercury was on the inside of the curve, plumes of dirt and loose rocks clouding behind both cars as they sped, their rear ends bumping once, twice together, then apart again. Each car had big bore engines in them that were not stocked. Their mechanic drivers had cut and welded and pounded to fit them into their respective vehicles. The roar of those engines filled the cabs of each car as their owners sought dominance. The race crowd whooped and hollered and made other joyous noises down where the race started and would end. Behind the gadget rose a wide ramp of the Santa Monica freeway under construction, a mass of concrete and rebar sticking out of the end as if the ramp had been sawed off, by a storm giant, for this was as far as the work had taken the builders. The goal was to construct a byway connecting downtown to the coast. In the process, the homes of working-class black folk in what was called the Pico District, people who'd come west in the 30s and 40s to work the then boom of oil fields and later aircraft, had been snatched up by eminent domain. Those same homes were rented back to them before they were kicked out, and the houses torn down to make way for rivers of freeway cement. The race took place primarily on a snake of land that had been bulldozed to gradually rise nearly a quarter mile up then took a whip turn around to descend into a flattened, cleared area that once housed a park and an apartment complex. Now, there were stands of unfinished pylons and piles of concrete and wood and glass debris from demolished houses to maneuver around. Then another turn through a partially fenced-in area where several heavy-duty trucks and tractors and the crowd were gathered. Back to the rise of land again. To add to the difficulty, it was now dusk and the natural light fading, so a driver's vision and reflexes had to be sharp. The improvised racetrack was a rough oval. The racers had to drive around ten times. This was the eighth lap. They came out of the turn, the Merck taking the lead. Downhill the cars plowed, the Willis running over a chunk of concrete, which Coles praised didn't blow out his tire. Reaching the flattened area, he swerved around a pylon, the murk now on his right flank. The other car zig and zagged between two interspersed t- pylons and veered back toward Coles' car. Traveling at more than 90 miles an hour, both were honing in on another pylon, dead center, piled concrete on either side of the two vehicles. Coles went left and the other car gobbled distance opposite, but the worst hit a sizable rut in the earth and would have snapped the front axle in half given the speed they were traveling. Cole smiled ruefully. Fortunately, he installed hydraulics taken from a junk World War II airplane wing in the front leaf springs connected to the straight axle. Those helped absorb the impact. Good thing he'd run into a man he knew, Ron Geary at a car show about a year ago, and Geary had shown him. The hydraulics he installed on a custom car he called a lowrider. At the flick of a toggle switch, he could lift and lower the car's shell. Now, as he reached the other turn, Coles pressed down again on the accelerator and pulled up the handbrake in a maneuver he'd been practicing. He fishtailed through the turn, forcing the Merc to swing wider to avoid his car. In this way, he gained the lead as he straightened out. They whooshed past the crowd. Coles kept in front, but the Mercury was tight on his tail. As they got near the top again of the quarter-mile dirt rise, the Merck attempted to gain an advantage by powering through the turn, but the driver miscalculated when to apply the gas, and just as he was about to complete the turn, momentum caused the rear end to lose purchase, and the car skidded over the side of the dirt ramp. It rolled once, twice, and landed upright down below. Coles completed the race then ran from his car once he'd off to see about his opponent. Someone had already gotten the other driver free from his wrecked vehicle. Fortunately, both cars had roll bars installed in the interior. You okay, Seth? Coles asked William Sakamoto. The other driver's face was cut and bruised. Looks like I'll live, Deke. He took a step up, but his knee buckled. Coles put a hand under his arm. Okay, maybe I'll sit down a minute, he grinned. Bystanders laughed and clapped, the two on their backs. Somebody had a folding beach chair and set it up for Sakamoto to sit. A few kerosene camping lanterns had been brought, and those were lit against the oncoming night. Some of the people left and others milled about, talking about the race or examining the mercury while drinking beers. The smell of marijuana drifted about, and one beatnik sat on the crinkled fender of the mercury, wailing on his bongos. Good race, Deke, said a blonde in striped pants and a sweater top. She handed him a can of hams. You're the coolest, Dory. Ain't I? She said, wandering away. A tall man in a snap hat and a Hawaiian shirt stepped over to Coles. The night was warm. Mind if I have a word with you, Mr. Coles? They were near the Willis and Coles leaned against the driver's door. What can I do for you? Coles was in rolled-up sleeves, tan chinos, and worn heavy work boots. His hair was close-cropped and a scar ran part of the length of his jawline. My name is Fred Warrens. He was in his late 40s, brown hair long at the nape of his neck and with hazel eyes. He had a trim mustache and knobby knuckles. Coles showed interest. You manage the Sentinel Speedway, don't you? Yes, sir. What's going to do for you, Mr. Warrens? I want you to race at our track. Coles chuckled harshly. What, you going to have bring a Negro to the races night? He chuckled some more. Uncomfortable, Warrens frowned. That's a crude way of putting it, Mr. Coles, but would we would like to offer you a featured spot. I know something of your record, fighter pilot in Korea, flying Mustangs, and then the F-80 Jets, over 75 missions and 10 confirmed kills in air combat, the deacon of the air, they called you. Yeah, well, he said dismissively, you read that old article on me and Ebony, so I guess that makes you an all right sort of guy, huh? But wasn't in an article that since the war, you've been building and racing hot rods and pickup contests all over town. A lot of people, black and white, talk you up. Well, Yeah. It still means me and mine is unwelcome at your all at you all precious racetracks all over town. Warren's looked off at a few people dancing and snapping their finger as the bongo man beat out a frenzied rhythm. He looked back at Coles. Let me put my cards on the table, okay? Please do. It's no secret that Inglewood is changing and well. We think we need to change the times too. Citadel Speedway was on a hill overlooking Citadel Avenue in Inglewood. Uh huh. Coles folded his arms. You mean them colored folk who've been buying homes near the plant since after the big one has also meant they go to the races and have noticed a lack of shade down on the track. Looking past Warren's shoulder, Coles couldn't help but notice a Mexican-American woman he hadn't seen around before. She was dark-haired and copper-hued, wearing black jeans and a black top, landing like glinting off gold hoop earrings. She was something. She glanced his way and smiled as a man in a T-shirt offered her a toque. On the tea, the marijuana, the woman declined. Think what chapter of the NAACP is threatened the boycott campaign, Warren said. We've been very active when it comes to jobs, promotion at North American Aviation. Coles smiled bemusedly. Didn't you tell him you had a couple of black fellows working at the track already, Mr. Warrens? Both of them janitors, I believe now. Ain't that so? Warren spread his hands. As I said, we want to do things differently. Then bring some colors onto the pit crews, Coles countered. We can't demand that of a racer and his sponsors. That's their decisions to make. But you want me to shuck and jive at some kind of hopped-up show, ain't, it? Ain't, ain't that right? Make sure the cameras are there on me after the race, and I got this big shit-eating grin on my mug thanking you and the Lord for the special, special day. Well, maybe take a knee and break in the mammy while I'm at it. You're looking at this all wrong, Mr. Coles. Sorry you wasted your time, Mr. Warrens. He took a pull. Warrens lingered. Taking in a deep breath and letting it out slow, he adjusted his hat and left. Cole shook his head and finished his beer. Nearby was a mound of junk, and walking toward it, he tossed his can onto the pile. Turning, he encountered the woman in black. You're a skilled man, she said. Her accent was heavy, but her words were clear, like they were being tattooed on his spine. Maybe it's equal parts stupid sometimes, he countered, careful not to get lost in those depthless eyes of hers. But winning is good for business. business Disminions and, and cars, so word gets around when you come in first. And coming in first matters to you better than getting kicked in the teeth. Yeah, I suppose that is so. He made a sound. I wasn't being that serious. I see. You're new around these parts. I'm Yamar. Yamar Montez. She put out her hand. There was a large jade and stone ring on her finger. They shook. Good to meet you. The pleasure's all mine, Deacon Coles. Those eyes. Deke. A voice called out. He turned to see an inebriated Sakamoto holding out a beer to him. Here you go, Daddy Yo. Uh yeah, cool, Sack, but I was just talking to Yamar here, hoping he'd get the hint and blow. Who? She'd slipped away and Coles couldn't spot her beyond the small circles of light and lanterns allowed the lanterns allowed. Never mind, he sighed, taking the beer. His friend grinned, bobbing his head to the bongo beat. Thanks, Gary, that was amazing. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, this is clearly a, a noir-influenced story, but the description of your collection is that it has a combination of sci-fi and bizarro fiction and superhero fiction. That's, the, that's what it says. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. And, and, and a massive of, uh, like, for instance, there's a, one of the stories is about a hitman who, who is able to astral project so he can, you know, Target, target his, uh, or so he can better scope out his targets. So it's a kind of mix of, of, of all kinds of, uh, um, genres and moods. And in particular, this story, as I said, is set in Venice at a certain time period. So it's greatly influenced by, uh, by the films or the, or the, uh, B movies of, uh, of Roger Corman. <laughs>
1: Oh well why did you uh combine genres that way I'm so curious
0: Oh you know I I think John, part of it is that I particularly with me and I I believe short stories I feel um you know because I'm mostly a crime fiction and, and and mystery writer but I I suppose I feel somewhat more um, liberated when I'm writing a short story and I know you know it's going to have a beginning middle and end and so therefore I I feel uh somewhat freer to uh, I so kind of mix and match and and kind of pull from here and there and and be able to kind of fool around the story more to open it up more and i, I suppose one of these days that will then uh... give me enough uh... confidence to- To try it in long form, but right now I like to do it in the short. That's a wonderful thing
1: about short fiction is you can do a lot of experimentation and just kind of go wild. It just sounds like a terrific collection, Um, and it's already out. It's called The Unvarnished, and I certainly suggest anyone picking it up
0: today. I appreciate that. Sure
1: thing. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for reading.
0: This has been a production of the House
1: of Mystery Radio Show.
0: To find out more about our show, guests, or hosts, go to our website at houseofmysteryradio.com.